Well, thanks a lot, Richard. Good morning, everyone. I've just been asked to do a, a micro mini sermon for 15 minutes, so uh, fasten your seat belts. And what great testimonies, what great stories uh, we've, we've heard there. So, um, yesterday's FA Cup final marks the end of the football season. For t- yeah, I thought that might be, yeah, yeah, I, you see, you'll either get a, a, a big cheer at that point or a sigh of, uh, of emptiness for the next few months, but whatever your response is, it did uh, mark the end of the football season. Many of you here might have heard of David Luiz. Uh, for, for those who have heard of David Luiz, um, I'm going to explain a bit for those who haven't heard who he is. So he's actually the vice-captain of the Brazilian football team. He currently plays for the French club Paris Saint-Germain. And in 2011, he was signed for a team called Chelsea for 25 25 million euros. Um, And in 2014, he transferred to Paris Saint-Domingue for a record fee of 50 million pounds, the highest ever fee paid for a defender. And uh, David Luiz has enjoyed success. He's won many accolades as one of the most successful uh, defenders in the world. And he's got sponsorship deals with Tiffany Watches and Vivo Telecom and Nike, to name but a few. And the media state that David Luiz is a committed Christian. And he's quoted as saying, My faith gives me the belief that I can go out and perform and improve as a player. It gives me strength and inspiration. And you might have seen in the media that two weeks ago, on the 15th of May, he posted this photograph on Instagram of himself being baptised in teammate Maxwell's swimming pool. Now, you'll notice there's no logo, there's no branding, this is no PR exercise at all. He's posting to the world and declaring this special moment for him of baptism. So the question is, why does an international sports star want to be baptised? And why does Nathan and Mychek and Chisholm and Lindsay and Luke and Aisha and Virginia... In the, and Cam in the second meeting want to be baptised. And what's this act of baptism all about anyway? Well, I mean, we can understand christening as children. We can understand this act of welcoming young babies into the family of God. We get that. But this kind of adult baptism, this deciding to be baptised, is pretty radical. It's pretty out there. What does it all mean? What's it all about? Or whatever you actually, you're a world-class celebrity or or whether you're a normal person from High Wycombe and the surrounding areas, one thing is true. There are three common denominators of baptism, whatever and whoever you are. The first one is probably quite an obvious one. With baptism, you will always get wet. It is not possible not to get wet. You go in and out of the water. That's why we say bring towels, bring change of clothes. You will always get wet. Secondly, baptism is not a private, solitary matter. It's impossible to baptise yourself. Even if it's just the person that's baptising you, it's known about. You might not post everything on Instagram, but it's known about. Baptism is public. This is a public building. It's a public event. And thirdly, baptism requires a letting go. I've had the privilege of doing many baptisms there in the water, and not once have we had to force somebody under. Because people have let go. You let go to be baptised. It requires a letting go. So the person baptised will always, always get wet. Well, what's the importance of the water? What's the water all about? The word baptism is actually derived from the Greek 
word baptizein, which means to plunge. It was a word used to describe plunging and dying and dipping of clothes. It means to, to plunge and absolutely immerse. And we read the first accounts of New Testament baptism in Matthew's Gospel, first book of the New Testament, in chapter 3. And we read that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. They were plunged in the water. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about Jordan and Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, I kind of picture these kind of relatively holy people coming forwards to be baptized. The reality is they were normal people like you and me. If this was written in modern times in this area, it would say that uh, people from High Wycombe and Chilton villages and the local surrounding areas went out to the River Thames to be baptized. It's as normal as that. Normal people responding to this extraordinary call to repent and be baptized. And John the Baptist said, confess your sins. Now, the word sin, I know, is a bit of a taboo word, isn't it? It's a bit of a taboo. Repent of your sins. If somebody was in uh, the Eden Center on a Saturday declaring, repent of your sins, there'd be lots of different responses. Some of laughter, some of anger. They might even get arrested for that. Because it's a, it's a bit of a tense thing to be shouting. Repent of your sins, because of that very word, sin. What does it mean? Well, we all have a moral compass. We all understand the difference between right and wrong. We intuitively know that stealing and, and murdering these things are wrong. But, and you ask people, what is sin? And they'll say, well, it's doing things that are wrong. It's just doing things that are wrong. But ask people what doing things that are wrong is, and that's a whole different ballgame because you'll get different opinions on what doing things wrong actually means. But the Bible says that all have sinned. We have all sinned. We have all done things wrong and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a story in the New Testament in Jesus' time of a woman who was caught in adultery. And the Jewish leaders at the time were about to stone her to death because that was the law at the time. And accusing her, she'd been caught, all the evidence was there. And Jesus came upon that scene, and he looked upon them all, and he looked upon the poor, frightened woman, and he said to those leaders, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And they examined themselves, and they realized that none of them qualified to throw the first stone, because they all knew that none of them were without sin. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, intuitively we all know there's something wrong. We have a propensity to sin. According to the Bible, we're all born with a sinful nature, a natural propensity to do things wrong. No one has to train a three-year-old child to grab that toy, to hold it as their own, to tantrum when it's taken off them and to hand it back to the other kid they're playing with. It's just, it's just natural, isn't it? We have this propensity for selfishness and sin. And John the Baptist said, repent of those sins and be baptised. So, are our sins washed away in this water? Is baptism essentially a spiritual cleansing and a washing away 
of our sins so that we no longer sin. Well, in Romans 6, Paul the Apostle writes these words to the church in Rome. He says, All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So baptism is actually all about death and resurrection. Death of what? Death of the sinful nature and resurrection into new life in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say these words. He says, for those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's those who have put their faith in him, as we've heard this morning. Those who have repented and said, Jesus, come into my life. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. So the waters of baptism we see behind us are actually representation of a grave. Death of the sinful nature and resurrection into new life in Christ. It's an illustration of Christ's victory over sin and over death in our lives. The freedom that he's won for us on the cross and his resurrection and the eternal life that he shares with us too. You see, on the cross, Jesus dealt with the very source of our problem. He dealt with the sinful nature, our sinful nature. He took it to the cross with him. Does that mean that once we come out of the waters of baptism, we never sin again? That we go home and we live a perfect life on cloud nine, and your parents cannot believe it. (laughs) Your brothers and sisters, wow, this is fantastic. We never, never struggle with desires again or attempt it again because we're living in this wonderful place of being totally free from sin. The reality is, of course, we continue to, to walk in life needing God's grace and needing the revelation of his forgiveness and needing to say sorry. We, we know that, but sin no longer has mastery over us. It no longer has dominion over you. Baptism is like a stake in the ground. It's a point of reference that you can always look back to. It's a reminder that you've been crucified with Christ and set free from the mastery of sin. It's good news. You know, in a battle when territory is fought and won, the the victorious soldiers raise a flag to claim that territory. Raise a British flag or a Spanish flag or a French flag, but they raise the flag. It's a reminder that the battle's been won, and it's a reminder that this is our territory. And baptism is like that flag being raised of Jesus' victory in your life and his territory in your hearts. It's a wonderful, continual reminder for you of the victory over sin and death in your life. No condemnation. As we sung those wonderful words this morning, no condemnation will you now fear. Righteousness freely given from him. The second common denominator of baptism, it's not private. It's not solitary. Somebody else has to be there with you. And actually that's like our walk as Christians. It's not a private thing. You might find that out when you get asked tomorrow, what what happened to the weekend? (laughs) It's not a solitary. We need each other and we need the Holy Spirit. God created us to live in community, to live together. That's why he created the church, not the building, but the church, the people in the church as community. 
And just as we're not baptised in a private, solitary way, so it be a reminder that you need each other. It's great you're part of a young people's group and part of small groups and part of the church because that is really important as our, our walk and our faith and, our, and our, as, we, as we work all these things out that we need to support each other. We were designed to be helped and to help. And that's the wonderful thing of the church. That's the wonderful blessing of the church. And, you know, it's also a witness. It's a wonderful witness today of what Christ has done in your life. And your continual witness as you go out from here and as you share with others. And the final common denominator is that it makes sense to let go in the waters. And our Christian life, it makes sense to let go. In Matthew chapter 3, again, we read that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised. And one of the terms of a Christian is a disciple, a disciple, a follower of a Jesus. And a disciple looks to emulate and be like the one who is discipling them. You know, much of the practical training for doctors, after all of the, the theory, the practical training, means spending time with experienced doctors that have been through that and done it, so they can show you how to do it. And it'd be no good if a, uh, a trainee doctor was being mentored or discipled by a qualified solicitor. It's just not, I mean, they might be really good at coaching and really good at training, but they've never dealt with a broken leg in a trauma situation. They can't show them how to do that. And just as Christians, we're disciples of Jesus. Jesus never asks us to do what he hasn't done himself. And here Jesus role models baptism. He asks us to forgive our enemies. And he forgave the Roman soldiers on the cross and those that were mocking him. He asks us to resist temptation. And he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we read Jesus giving his final instructions to the 11 disciples. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus role modeled baptism by being baptized himself. And we're to follow his command. So it's then a sign of being a disciple of Jesus. It's a sign of letting go. And the Christian life is a life of letting go to him for our good. So to conclude, baptism is a sign of Jesus' victory in your life. It's a sign of his victory over sin and the mastery of sin, the death of the sinful nature, and resurrection into new life in him. It's the raising of his victory flag in your life, the constant reminder of what he's done for you. It's a public declaration of your faith in Jesus. It's a reminder of your need for others to be around you, to support you in our walk as Christians. And actually, whether you're a superstar footballer worth 40 million or a regular lady or man or guy or girl from High Wycombe, we all need Jesus' forgiveness. We all need his love and his power. We all need his grace. We all need to respond to what he did for us on the cross. Ultimately, baptism is a sign of his love and his value towards us as he sent his precious one and only son to die on a cross for our sins and to be raised again to new life. So bless you guys. I think now is the time. Now is the moment we've all been waiting for. <laughs>